Please be seated. And good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel Anglican. For those of you I haven't met, uh, my name is Father Aaron Damiani, and I'm just delighted to worship with you this morning. I invite you to turn your uh, bulletins or Bibles to Matthew 2. We're starting a new sermon series. I'm really excited about it. I've uh, been praying on this for a while, thinking on this for a while, and it's called Waking Up, Waking Up, Becoming Fully Human. There's a lot of interest these days in realizing our fullest potential and overcoming obstacles to personal growth, facing our fears, and seeing what's in there. And um, so what does that look like in Jesus's life? Jesus arguably lived uh, the most consequential, in a good way, human life ever lived. And when we look at his early life and when we look at his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he has a lot to say about becoming fully human. He has a lot to say about what it means to wake up and to grow up and to become who he's created us to be. So we're going to cover topics like identity. How do we even know our true selves and live according to our true selves? Uh, Authority. Who do we trust as our guide for believing and living? What about security? When everything's falling apart around you, how do you live securely and confidently in uncertain times? So I hope you'll join us for the rest of the series. And this morning, we're going to look at self-awareness, self-awareness. And this is, in some ways, the beginning. It's the, it's the first domino that is flicked in becoming fully human. Uh, so my wife and I have this ritual where if we have a spinach salad together, um, at the end of our dinner, we'll look at each other and, go, and smile a big smile, and we'll say, do I have any spinach in my teeth? Do I have any spinach in my teeth? And yeah, and usually Laura's like, yeah, you got one right there. Yeah, okay. And um, it's probably the easiest way to become self-aware is just to go for the spinach in the teeth. It only hurts my feelings a little bit. But all joking aside, did you ever grow up with someone and they had spinach in their teeth kind of relationally and no one was allowed to address it? What about where you work right now? There's maybe a coworker that you have or someone, a boss that you have, and they've got spinach in their teeth as it relates to their emotional storminess, but everyone tiptoes around it. No one's allowed to say, you got a thing right there. It's hard stuff to talk about. What about for your own life? Has anyone ever, have you ever had a time when someone has called out the spinach in the teeth, the spinach in the soul, the spinach in the relationships, what was that like? Was that an easy conversation or a hard conversation? Did you find yourself getting defensive? One leader I respect said this about self-awareness. He said, when I find myself getting the most defensive, that's when I need to become the most curious. Interesting. When I find myself getting feedback and my defenses are going up, and I, oh, but, oh, but you, 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 you that's when I need to become, because this is touching something. So how are you with the spinach in the teeth conversation? How are we going to grow beyond our blind spots? You know, it's one thing to become aware. Have you ever become aware of spinach in the soul? But it's like so much hard to deal with than spinach in the teeth. You know, the physical spinach, you just have to kind of peel away but what about the deep stuff, the emotions and the patterns and the brokenness and the stuff that you can see that you know needs to be rooted out, 
but you've tried changing and it's not working. Where do we go from there? This is why I love this passage. This is why the word of God is always living and active because in Matthew 3, we've got a movement from blindness, spiritual blindness, personal blindness, to deeply rooted change. This passage is a passage of hope. It's just brimming with the promise of transformation. It's an invitation. So this morning, I want you to think about, am I willing to take the invitation to become not only self-aware, but to grow from the inside out? The deepest, the, the deepestly clinging spinach in the life, in the soul, are you willing to take the invitation for that to be rooted out lovingly and gradually and in God's timing? We're gonna look at four, uh, uh, what do we call them? Milestones, <laughs> four milestones for deep change. Uh, you know, milestones are important because you might be at any one of the four right now. And it's a messy journey, so there's no formula here. But if you recognize a milestone, I wanna encourage you to connect with Jesus about that and say, all right, I'm at this milestone and I need you to call me to the next one. I need you to help me engage. Don't disconnect, <laughs> don't disengage if you see the milestone. Um, and we'll just walk through one at a time and um, see what the Lord does. So the first milestone in personal change is a voice of hope, a voice of hope. If you feel discouraged about your ability to become fully human, you need a voice of hope not from the inside of your heart. You need it come from the outside, from someone you love, someone you trust, someone who has credibility, someone with a, a sense of authority, hope that you can change, hope that God has not forgotten you, hope that your blind spots, no matter how deeply entrenched they are, no matter how defensive you feel about them, can be addressed, and you can work through them, that you can change. You know, the people uh, that this text was addressing needed a lot of hope. They had been 400 years without any tangible voice from God. It felt like God's not talking to us anymore. Like, why, is mom and, why are mom and dad not, why are they ignoring us? Are they mad? <laughs> God must be mad. They felt abandoned by God. Under Roman occupation, the religious professionals are just that. They don't seem to have a heart for God. So what do we do? What, can we change? Can we become who we were supposed to be as the people of God? They were discouraged and lacking hope. And... Uh, the voice of hope in their day was John the Baptist. You know, he came with a very clear, very distinct, very strong message that God's on the move. And that message rings true for us today. So let's read in verse one about this voice of hope. Uh, starting in verse one, in those days, in those days of discouragement, in those days of personal and national spinach in the teeth, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he says in verse two, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So this is a really unique guy here, John the Baptist, not your average uh, first century Judean. Um, he had a paleo garment of animal trappings, um, and uh, he, uh, which was actually the um, uniform of a prophet. He was dressing like the prophets dressed when God was speaking hopeful messages. John is, his, his uniform here is telling people, hey, look, remember how God used to speak? He's speaking again. I've come in the spirit and power of Elijah. It's the same God who sent both of us, and he's got a message of hope. And his message of hope is repent. The kingdom of the heavens is here. Repent. Rethink everything about your life. Rethink everything that you thought was just you. Rethink everything that you're getting defensive about. Rethink your whole entrenched way of existing because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning God's operation is near. God is coming near. He is going, whatever he's doing in heaven, he's going to make it happen here on earth with flesh and blood people because he loves you and he's got a vision for you, so don't give up hope. He had a hopeful vision. You know, the other thing is that he was preaching in a hopeful environment. You can see in verse one, he's preaching in a wilderness. Verse three, this wilderness was spoken of by Isaiah. Isaiah 40 the wilderness is a place where God says, comfort, comfort my people. Tell Jerusalem her warfare is ended. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord's coming to the wilderness. That was, that's how God rolls. He comes to the wilderness when his people feel abandoned, like in, uh, in Egypt. He comes to the wilderness when his people are scattered and feeling alienated, like he did in Babylonia. The Lord loves to come to the wilderness. It's the place where he meets with his people and he calls them to a new day. Wilderness is a day of new beginnings. Maybe you've experienced the wilderness simply as a place of desolation. Maybe the wilderness for you is simply a place of, uh, where, you, where you lack hope. And I'll tell you this morning that John the Baptist uses the wilderness as his pulpit to say the kingdom of God has come near, and it's for you. So rethink everything. It's a word of hope. There's a new era of God's mercy. Everybody can have a restart in the Lord. It was true then, it's true today. You can have a restart, you can be comforted, you can change. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain brought low, so that the Lord can come through and make all things new. The voice of hope has, has a note of urgency. The word repent is imperative, and it's, uh, there's, there's a note of urgency to it. There's a window of time where the Lord is going to visit, and he's going to invite you to follow him. Will you say yes or not? There's some urgency and there's some hope brought together. So a question for us to consider is, have you ever seen this milestone in your journey to transformation? Have you ever seen this milestone as you have, uh, as you have sought personal change? Has there ever been a time when someone has said, you know what, I see the Lord working in your life and I think he's putting his finger on something, either a way to grow or something to address as an issue, do you listen to the voices of hope? Do you listen to people who minister the word of God to your soul? People who, who maybe even in conversation talk about what they're learning. Do you get cynical when you hear voices of hope? Be like, oh yeah, you're just, you know what I mean? You put them in a category. Do you put voices of hope in a category? Don't do that. Stop doing that. 
Rethink it. It's not the way you thought it was. God loves you. It's a new day for you. Maybe you need to invite some voices of hope in your life. Someone to poke the bear a little bit and uh, talk about the spinach in your teeth and talk about how good God is. Do you want that? I invite you to invite the Lord to send some voices of hope your way. And you could even put it on your priorities list. Find more voices of hope. How many voices of hope do you hear just by default? You know, lots. There's lots of voices of fear, lots of voices of division out there, voices of cynicism. What are the voices that you tune into? Are there any voices of hope? Are there any that are connected with the unchanging and beautiful and hope-giving word of God? If not, tune into them. So the second milestone of deep change, the first one's that voice of hope. The second one is a step of courage, a step of courage. At some point, there's gotta be a step taken. It cannot and is not just a head game, personal change. It's never fully safe. Ultimately, it's fully safe in God, but it's not gonna feel safe sometimes. There will be courage required of you, just a step, just a step, a step of courage, a step in the direction of God's invitation. So has there ever been a time, have you ever seen that milestone, and if you have, did you take the step, or did you step away? So the step of courage for the people in Judea and Jerusalem uh, was to come here, John the Baptist. So some of them took that step. Let's read in verse five. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So there's a spiritual pilgrimage being made by all of the people. You can even put yourself there. Imagine you're uh, living in the urban center of Jerusalem. And there are people that came from all over the city, the suburbs, the rural areas, all around uh, Palestine. But maybe you'd be living in Jerusalem, probably living in Jerusalem, wouldn't you, in the shadow of the temple, um, in the urban center. And um, let's say you're a merchant and you provide for your family by trading goods and services, some with the temple, some outside the temple. And you know what you've been doing? You've been weighing the scales a little bit, not lots. Everyone else is doing it. It's part of the, you know, every, you know, it's just part of the culture. So you're not gonna be a puritanical person and be like, oh, I don't weight the scales because then you'd upset the whole guild. So you weight the scales a little bit because it's a little extra for you. It's a way to survive. You provide for your family. It's not like you're getting rich doing this. But you're weighing the scales a little bit. And so um, you make sacrifices at the temple. You go, you go every year for the Day of Atonement. You go... You go weekly, you go monthly, you go to all the festivals, make the sacrifices. You use some of that money to buy the animals so they can be sacrificed. Hopefully it leads to some forgiveness for you. And you know God's kind of making, making it right and maybe that's good. But then you hear about John the Baptist and you're like, huh, there's a preacher guy and he's saying some controversial things. I wonder what this is all about. And so you go with your friends, you go to your community and, and you're like, uh, walking out to the Jordan River with all the people, and you're kind of curious. And once, you're, once you see um, the man in, in the paleo clothes talking about the kingdom of God, you're like, huh, something's connecting, something's getting stirred up. 
starting, starting to sting a little bit. And your friend's like, ah, come on, we're gonna go home now. You're like, no, I, I actually, I'm gonna stay. That's a step. And then, and then you're looking at John the Baptist and, and, he, and he's preaching and, and he's like, some of you here have been, have been sinning against your neighbor. You know, the seventh commandment that you shall not steal. Some of you have found ways to steal and it's time to get right with God. And the kingdom of heaven is here. The Lord's on the move. Why don't you step into the Jordan River and confess your sins and be baptized, it will be a new day for you. And so you're like, it's now or never. And so you take a step in the Jordan River and you can feel the water rushing over your ankles. Step a little more and John the Baptist is like, hey you, come on, let's go. And he puts his arm around you and says, what do you wanna confess today? What's God doing in your life today? And you say, I've been stealing from all these people that I came with. I've been breaking the seventh commandment. I've sinned against them, and I've sinned against God, and I need to get right. So John the Baptist says, I baptize you for the repentance of sins. Today is a new day. Go and sin no more. Step of courage, and you'll never be the same. We all need these moments where we're invited to a greater moment of courage. We're invited to say yes to becoming aware of our sin. And it's just a matter, are we going to take the step? It's just the next step. That's what it is. It's not the whole journey. You and I both know that this is a lifetime thing. But a lifetime journey, it, takes, it starts with the first step in the direction of the voice of hope. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say yes to this. I'm gonna confess my sins. For a lot of us, the confession of sin is kind of the first step. It's the next step. Some of you, the next step was just coming to church this morning. It's an amazingly brave thing to come to church sometimes. So if that's you, I wanna say thank you and I'm proud of you for doing what you did. For others of you, the next step is confession of a secret sin. We make that possible every uh, Sunday liturgically when you confess your sins in the liturgy uh, because we all come with sin to confess. But maybe you wanna take a next step and experience in an embodied way how much God loves you and his forgiveness for you by talking to a prayer minister or flagging someone down you know is kind of a regular here and just say, you know what, I, I just need to confess aloud a sin so I can experience God's forgiveness. Others of you, it's, it's baptism. You know, you, think, you, know about, you know about baptism, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but right now that's a spiritual issue for you, and for you, the step is just, hey, I'm willing to learn more about baptism, but it might be that on Easter Sunday when we have a baptism right here, you're gonna be stepping forward, and the water's gonna be coming over your forehead, and it's gonna be a new day for you, not only for forgiveness of sins, but following Jesus and becoming fully human. Maybe that's your next step. What is your next step? Consider it. What's, what's Jesus putting his finger on right now? Step forward. Change is possible. The Lord is on the move. And you'll never be the same. So, along the way to deep personal change, we've gotta take these steps. We're gonna see these milestones. There's the voice of hope. There's a step of courage, 
And maybe the worst and best one is the next one, and that is a vision of reality. A vision of reality. I was reading the testimony of a professor and author. Her name is Mary Poplin. She's in California. And she was just telling her, her story of coming to faith in Christ. One pivotal moment for her was when she went to a, uh, hear a popular spirituality teacher. Mary Poplin herself, she was a professor of uh, postmodernism and um, kind of a, like radical postmodern theory. And she also was a very you know, spiritual woman and was very much into spirituality of any type. And so she went to hear this, not a Christian speaker, but a message, a speaker on spirituality. And uh, the speaker, this woman, was kind of like full of just kind of oozing positive vibes in her talk, lots of positive energy, um, a glow with light and love, and just talking about, you know, being spiritual. And so she watches this woman get done speaking, get in her car, put the car in reverse, step on the gas, and hit another car on accident. So she gets out of the car, the speaker, who moments ago was a glow, and she was a glow in a different way, and she started shrieking at the man she hit, and she screamed at him in an unbridled way, and in response, the man kept saying to her, calmly but firmly, this is who you really are. This is who you really are. This is the actual spinach in your soul. Now you can see it. The veneer taken away. You ever have a moment like that? Where you find yourself irrationally going off on someone? Or judging someone? or reacting in some way? Do you ever have a moment where you see what God has always seen about who you really are? This is who you really are. Do you ever have a moment where you see something else? The vision of reality is not just who you really are, but who God really is. See, the thing about this story for Mary Poplin is that when she saw that happen, she was like, oh yeah, that's in me. I'm very, very spiritual, but underneath all of that false self is bile and sin. And that was a precursor for her to see how merciful Jesus was. Have you ever seen a new vision of how merciful and holy God is? Has that ever encouraged you? Has that ever shaken you up? Has that ever left you, uh, has that ever left you wanting more? A vision of reality is seeing ourselves and seeing God as he actually is and as we actually are. That's the moment of salvation. That's the new day that we all need. So let's read about this in our text here, verse seven. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
do you see from this exchange John helping the Pharisees and Sadducees seeing who they really are and who God really is? You see, what he said is, he says, um, in verse nine, he says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we are children of Abraham. I mean, that was their false self, right? That was their false sense of security. That was the cloak that they put on to say, I'm, I'm fine, I'm good with God. I don't need to justify myself. I don't need this silly baptism. I'm just here to check things out. And John says, this is, you have no idea who you really are. Take off that cloak and who you really are is you are a litter of baby snakes and the fire is so hot that you're slithering away. That's John's imagery here, brood of vipers. Baby snakes, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? You think that you could somehow connive your way into, into, into getting right with God? No way. Take off the cloak of your self-identified, I'm, I'm one of the good guys here. I'm on the right side of history here. I'm theologically educated here. I'm emotionally intelligent here. I'm as woke as they come. I don't need any baptism. I don't need self-awareness. I've removed all the spinach in my teeth, but I'm happy to help you remove yours. Are you too good to have a vision of reality to see who you really are? Do you have a cloak that you wear that distances you between your reality and God's reality? John says, take off the cloak and see who you really are. Now, this is a special thing. This is actually a really, like I said, it's the best and the worst. If you ever get a vision of what's underneath the surface, you know, don't you, that that is not intended for you to, to, be, to be condemned. That is a moment, that's a threshold for you to walk through to see the mercy of God. See, John says, don't you know that God can take these stones and make them sons and daughters of Abraham? That's how merciful God is. That's how full of life he is. That's how powerful he is. God is a God who comes to dry bone situations and creates people. God is the God who, who comes to uh, people who feel dead and feel weak and feel like, man, they're full of sin, and he, he gives them new life. He breathes his very spirit into them. Don't you know that's who God is? You see, for them, they needed to take off their religious sort of costume and cloaking and self-righteousness so that they could receive the grace and mercy of God. All that stuff would have been a, it's like, Let's get rid of that stuff. Let's get a vision of reality. Let's stop believing a lie about ourselves. Let's stop believing half-truths about God. So John tells them, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's basically saying, stop being a hypocrite. Be a righteous person. But then how do you be a righteous person if that's all you were ever trying to do in the first place? Well, if the tree's gonna bear fruit, something's gonna have to happen to the tree, right? at the root level, at the deepest, the deepest core of whatever, at the origin of the tree where the ax is about to chop it down, what needs to happen? The tree's gotta get an act of new creation. The tree's gotta be cleansed all the way down. If the fruit's gonna be good, the tree's gotta be good, and there's only one way for the tree to be good, 
And that's if the tree, if there's an act of new creation at the root of the tree. So we've got the voice of hope. We've got steps of courage. We've got a vision of reality. But we need one more thing, every last one of us, and that is a cleansing bath. A cleansing bath. I'm only switching metaphors because John the Baptist switched metaphors, so um, take it up with him. We need a deep scrubbing. We need an inner washing. We don't just need our skin to be cleansed. We need our souls to be cleansed. Any last bit of spinach that's deep down inside needs to get removed. Now, who has the power to do that? Who has that kind of deep power? Who has that intimate power? Who has that loving power? Who can we trust with that power? I mean, who do you trust to confess your spinach to? Not very many people, I know that. Verse 11 says this, I, John the Baptist, baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You've been, you've been cleansed on the outside. You've had a new day. You confessed your sins. But there's a deeper fundamental washing for you, and it's Jesus immersing you in his Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, the Lord himself, immersing you in resurrection. Immersing you in healing, immersing you in grace, immersing you in power, and fire, it will burn. When you are united with Christ in baptism, it's the beginning of a slow burn process of change. It's fiery. Sometimes it burns hot. That just means that God knows you're ready. But that fire also sets us ablaze for the life of the world. Remember at the day of Pentecost, if, if you're familiar with the story of the early church, the, the church really became super active in the world, working for the good of its city, communicating the life-changing truth of the scriptures when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was symbolized like kind of um, like there was fire on their heads or something. Again, I didn't make that up. Uh, or Don't take it up with me. Take it up with Luke who wrote Acts. Um, but... There was an aspect of the, uh, where they were empowered. The people of God, not only were they cleansed by the Holy Spirit, but they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And fire is an overlap of those two realities. The cleansing bath is a healing bath, but it also prepares us to do what John is telling the Pharisees and Sadducees to do, is do good works in keeping with repentance. Our life changes from the inside out, don't you see? And the only one capable of doing this is Jesus Christ. He has personally shed his own personal blood for you personally to forgive your sins. He rose again to give you personally new life. He wants to be united with you in ways that are uh, more intimate and comprehensive than any metaphor than we, than we could use this morning. And if, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, he baptizes you in his spirit and in fire. There's an image too at the very end in verse 12 uh, of Jesus having a, a, um, a threshing fork, oh, sorry, winning, winnowing fork in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's John saying? John's saying, Jesus is creating a new Israel. 
Jesus is creating a new people, and they will be changed from the inside out, and they together will reflect his glory. And the way John images this is there's a, he's imaging kind of a, a pile of like all of the, the grain that's been brought in, all the wheat that's been brought in from the fields, the big pile, and Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand. This is a fork that, uh, that uh, people, agricultural workers would, would use in that day, and they would scoop it, and they would throw it up in the air. And all of the chaff that, that like, was no good to anybody would, would, flo- would f- float into the distance, or it would go over there, you could burn that pile, but everything that remained was the good stuff. It was the juicy stuff. In your vernacular, it would have been the hops. Um, so all the good stuff, there's good stuff in that pile. But Jesus has to personally take his winnowing fork and toss it into the air so that the chaff is driven away, just like in Psalm 1. And then he's going to burn that stuff in the process of making us new. Are you ready for the burn of following Jesus? I, it's a lifelong thing, isn't it? And there's no, there's no telling when the blowtorch is going to get hot. But there's gold in your life. And the only way you'll see it, the only way it'll be good to you or the Lord or anybody else is if the, is if the Lord removes the chaff from your life, removes the spinach from your teeth, and burns until the only thing that's left is the gold. To some of you, you've been in this for a while, and you're discouraged. And you're where the people of God were at the beginning of the passage. You're like, is, is this going anywhere? Am I becoming like Christ? Am I, am I any, any good to anybody? I can see my brokenness so deep, and, and I don't know how it can be changed. The Lord's not done with you. You are in the slow burn process. Maybe you're in the wilderness. I want to encourage you, my friends. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Confess your discouragement to the Lord and ask for him to give you a fresh gift of the Holy Spirit. You've already got it. Ask him to remind you. Ask him to burn away the chaff. That's a bold prayer. Burn away all that doesn't, burn away the wood, hay, and stubble. Help me find the gold. Help me hang on. Help me follow you one step at a time in this process of becoming fully human. What is the milestone for you this morning? Or maybe there's a couple. Do you need to seek out and listen to a voice of hope? Do you need to take a step of courage? Do you need a vision of reality? Do you need a cleansing bath? One final invitation I will make this morning is for you to step forward and learn more about baptism or to step forward and renew your baptism vows. We do this every major feast here at Emmanuel, almost every major feast. We didn't do it on Epiphany. Uh, But on Easter Sunday, April 1st, which is gonna be here faster than you think it will, we are going to have another opportunity for you to stand in your baptism vows or to be baptized for the first time. This is an opportunity for you to step forward and say, I am ready for the Lord to baptize me in the Holy Spirit and fire (laughs) and for me to become who I've created to be. Step forward, mark baptism on your communication form or write renewing baptism vows on it. And when the time comes, drop it in the plate 
we will follow up with you to pray with you, to uh, encourage you to walk with and listen to the Lord, and you'll have an opportunity right here in this space to renew your baptism vows or to be baptized for the first time. It'll be a new day for you, and we will all celebrate together. Let us pray to the one who alone can make us fully human. Lord, we pray right now that you would complete whatever work you began as your word was opened. And we pray that the words of John the Baptist, the challenge of it, the hope of it, would just stay with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to invite us to follow you for deep change. We pray that one day when we look to you face to face, we can see how all along you were removing the spinach and burning the chaff so that only gold and glory would remain. We pray this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.